Welcome back to Well, That's Interesting, the only podcast with two mics. That's right. (laughs) We're the only ones. Actually, technically, it's three mics right now. Oh, that's Um, right. The only podcast with three microphones. With three mics. That's right. (laughs) We're new to this whole sound thing. We're testing out fancy new mics. Various mics. And we're also using our old mic. (laughs) We're covered in mics. We're covered in mics. It's a little overwhelming. Yeah. I feel like I'm covered in robots right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, other good news than being covered in robots. <laughs> if you happen to follow us on Instagram at Well That's Interesting Pod or on Twitter at WTI underscore pod, you may have noticed that or if, even if you listened to the show before, you've probably noticed some beautiful changes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we got a little glow up. That's I'm right. so excited. That's right. We got some new cover art and new thumbnail art and whatnot. It's and so cute. It's just so gorgeous. Like our, our beautiful heads have become beautiful art. Seriously. Um, we had a vision. <laughs> we Googled how to get that vision. It was too hard to do on our own. Yes. So we paid someone that we Googled to make the vision happen. Yeah. Roxandra draws on a website called Fiverr. F-I-V-E-R-R, two R's. Two R's. Amazing. Three mics, two R's. That's us. Three mics, two R's. (laughs) And damn, this girl, she did this fucking artwork in in two days, less than 48 hours. Yeah. So look her up on Fiverr if you need uh, some fancy, fancy anything drawn. Yeah. She's she's your go-to. Very reasonable. Uh, And reasonable. Nothing is reasonable anymore, but when I saw her rates, I was like... It's reasonable. That's reasonable. It's within budget. Holy shit. Yeah. Fucking A. Uh, so thanks to uh, Roxandra Draws. And we also want to give a huge thanks to uh, our listeners in Argentina, because we've ranked on Apple Podcasts, yeah. uh, in the comedy category, or in the top 300, we ranked at 240. Hell yeah. So thank you, Argentina, and to all of our listeners around the goddamn globe you guys are amazing <laughs> we love you argentina i know i didn't know you were listening y'all have amazing food and amazing, amazing people a- amazing taste amazing, amazing taste, taste in podcast above all else amazing so yeah so and yeah amazing listeners in all around so please rate us that's how other people can find this podcast yeah. and find you because it's a community so you know what we should do? Crazy yeah. idea. I'm brainstorming while we're recording, but it would be cool if uh, for the countries um, that we're ranked in, uh, we should find something interesting specifically Fuck about yes. that country. It's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely. Basically, we've been focusing on Florida the whole time. <laughs> this is so much out of Florida. But I would love to know uh, the weird shit that's going on in Argentina. Yeah, please. And help us out. So email us at, well, that's interesting pod at gmail.com. Uh, what we should know about your country. Yeah, it's also another great place to see our amazing cover art that we are, like, <laughs> beaming about. Like, beaming. giggling about. God. So thank you, everyone. Uh, I guess we should begin. Yeah. Today's episode, episode 024, we're going to talk about two men uh, on right. opposite sides of the world. Got speaking it. of the world. Uh, but in the same year, 1923, hmm. they experienced death so bizarre that once word got out about their circumstances, people automatically assumed 
they had to be cursed. I mean, I think a lot of things are cursed. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think the United States is cursed. <laughs> I think my digestive system is cursed. Mm. Um, I think our building is cursed. I think it smells like wet cat food for some reason today. It really does. And every five <laughs> minutes, I'm like, is it me? No, it's not you. <laughs> Promise. I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> Am I the one making the whole building smell like this? But yes, I think a lot of things are cursed. I'm pumped to hear about these guys. Uh, well, all right. Our first dude. Now, if you look up Frank Hayes in Wikipedia, or if you give him a Google search... Now, you may not find very much about his life. In fact, if you check out that wiki page and scroll down to the bottom, it notes his biographical article is, quotes, a stub. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So this may be because Frank's death could overshadow many living accomplishments. Uh, and he was a mere 22 years old Aww. when he was bestowed the title of the only dead man in history to win a race at Belmont Park. Oh, no. <laughs> or really any racetrack, for that matter. Okay. So here's the thing. Yeah. I, I only knew about as much as the title. Yeah. And that there was a horse race situation. Yeah. <laughs> I, this took a darker turn <laughs> than I thought it would. This show always takes a dark oh, turn. Horrible things happen here. Welcome, everyone, if this is your first time listening. <laughs> Welcome to All That's Interesting. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's snuggle into our time machine and travel back to the Roaring Twenties, and specifically to the borough of Queens in New York City. Fuck yeah. Uh, here we find not a jockey at the time, but a horse lover, horse trainer, and longtime stableman, Frank Hayes. Good old Frank. Good old Frank. Now, if I ask you to visualize a white dude in the early 1920s, I guarantee whatever you're thinking is exactly what Frank looks like. Is there a hat? Is <laughs> there a hat? <laughs> I would love to show you a picture of Frank and his hat uh, as printed. Yes, <laughs> there's a hat! <laughs> as printed in the local papers at the time, would you like to give a little detail of what Frank looks like? I would love to. Oh, there's so a hat. <laughs> <laughs> I think you told me about the hat earlier. Like, not even 10 minutes ago. That's my 30-year-old brain giving out on me. It's <laughs> like... I, but you were still happy. <laughs> I was still pumped. Amazing hat. What's the name of the hat? They're called boater hats. They're, They're called boater made hats. made out of straw. Uh, there's like a ribbon around the brim of it. Yes. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, give it a Google and you'll be like, oh shit, yeah, I know what that is. It's one of those things. It's one of those and a gentleman is wearing it, um, kind of got a baby face, looks like a 22-year-old white guy, uh, shaved suit uh um what's the thing a tie yes i haven't <laughs> we haven't been outside i haven't been to midtown which is like where all like the business stuff is yeah. do you like how i worked in midtown for years and i call it business stuff <laughs> people who work in finance that's the trauma that's the trauma covering it up yeah i can't even remember i would just go there every day and that was it yeah you wake up there and they're like <laughs> oh god the trauma those were the weird days uh, so, that's right, young babyface Frank, uh, uh, he was employed by Miss A.M. Frailing to care for her horses and to do all the chores a stableman would do, uh, like cleaning stables, feeding, exercising, and grooming the horses, and being, quote, on call in case any member of the employer's family wishes to ride. Wow. End quote. Yeah. That's rich. <laughs> that's, yeah. Oh, we're going to get even more into money. 
Oh my yeah, God. Words. Just wait. Speaking of finance, can you imagine just being like, I feel like riding my horse and giving very little notice. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> that's, oh, America. That's a real thing. Yeah. Okay, sorry, go on. Uh, that quote was from the Stableman wiki page. So, uh, one of the horses uh, that Frank cared for was a mare named Sweet Kiss. Oh. And something about this animal inspired Frank. You see, just a short time ago, just about 18 years prior, Belmont Park opened and quickly became a, became a big fucking deal in the horse racing world. Uh, even if you know next to nothing about racing, like me, uh, you know of or have at least heard of the Triple Crown. I definitely have. Yeah. yeah. And the final leg of that series takes place here, the big finish known as the Belmont Stakes. Mm. Now, Frank and Sweet Kiss didn't run in the Triple Crown, but Frank maybe thought one day they could. And despite the horse having no racing experience and Frank being just a dude from Queens, he somehow convinced Miss Frailing to enter them both in an upcoming race. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. The confidence. The confidence. Of a white guy. <laughs> and a rich old woman. That's amazing. Yeah. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Go for it. Live your best life. Uh, it's reported by uh, diabolicmagazine.com that the owner really didn't see much promise in either of them. Mm. And according to the official odds posted at 20 to 1, the public didn't see much in them either. <laughs> so, uh, nevertheless, there was Frank, dressed in his colorful racing silk, sitting atop Sweet Kiss, waiting in the starting gate for the gun to go off, signaling the start of a two-mile steeplechase. Now, I didn't know what the fuck a steeplechase was, so I looked it up. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> so, imagine a regular circular racetrack. Okay. And every couple of yards, there's a hurdle. Okay. And these hurdles can be made of steel or plastic fences, about 52 inches tall or a little over four feet. Uh, there's also a fancier version where there's like live hedges made of pine or maybe some synthetic brush. Oh, la la. So, yeah. Uh, it's not your average race where a horse just runs. Uh, the hurdle horses are trained to jump in time with their stride so they don't lose speed when they land. Uh, jumping out of stride not only lowers your speed dramatically, but it's damn dangerous. If you've ever watched humans at the Olympics run and jump and fall over hurdles, it's not pretty. No. Now imagine a large horse hauling ass at around 38 miles per hour. Oh, God. Yeah, I'd so. rather not imagine that one. <laughs> so. But I am. <laughs> Uh, good news, though. Sweet Kiss was just fine. Uh, in fact, Sweet Kiss thrived, even though it was her first time at a loud, rowdy racetrack against other horses she won by a head. What? I know. What? <laughs> so, Sweet Kiss. Uh, that's right. And what the fuck does that mean, won by a head? Well, traditionally, wins are measured by the length of a horse, which is about eight feet. So the difference between first and second place here was only the size of a horse's head. Oh. So it was close, but still fucking win still a win that's right love it so this had to be damn exciting you know not only for frank but for the crowd you know you could imagine how uh ooh, my nose you can imagine how bonkers they became seeing a pair with zero experience zero history break from the pack and win by only two feet amazing uh so it was kind of odd that when frank crossed the finish line uh, how could I say this? He wasn't very enthusiastic. Oh my god! <laughs> so. I'm making the um, the emoji mm -hmm. face with the teeth, with the crunched teeth, the yeah. crunched teeth. I've been doing that for the last <laughs> ten seconds. Uh, from CuriousHistory.com, quote: 
The spectators in attendance, who noticed the slump jockey on the thoroughbred's back, thought the young rider was merely showboating, riding the horse one-handed, relaxed as a dog sleeping in front of a fireplace. Oh, wow. End quote. Now, it seemed like all fun and games, until Miss Frayling and the race officials approached Frank, where it, was, where it became very apparent Frank was dead. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> That's horrifying. I know. That's horrifying. At some point during the two-mile steeplechase, Frank had died. Uh, his butt, his body remained in the saddle, quote, making him the first and thus far only jockey known to have won a race after death, quoting Wikipedia. That's wild. Yeah. That's horrifying. <laughs> I have no other word other than horrifying. That, yeah. I'm going to say it like three more times. So, uh, An autopsy was performed, and the New York Times revealed its results in a June 5th 1923 article that, yes, today has a paywall. Um, would you like to read from the article, Jockey Dies as He Wins His First Race? I would love to. Yeah. All right. Quote, um, there was a magic ending to the oh, steeple race. Tra- tragic. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's start again. Um, there was. It's just, you're trying to be optimistic. I was trying so hard. Oh, my heart. Okay. <laughs> Quote, there was a tragic ending to the steeplehouse race at Belmont Park yesterday afternoon. Jockey Hayes dropping dead from his saddle after riding Miss A.M. Frailing's jumper, sweet kiss, to a splendid victory over the two-mile course. Death was pronounced to be due to heart disease, the attack probably having been brought on by severe training to make weight and the subsequent excitement of riding. His first winner. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's right. Oh. Frank. I know. Poor Frank. Oh. Baby-faced Frank. Baby-faced Frank. You work too hard. You know, he may have had an underlying heart condition that was yeah. exacerbated by the excitement and the damage done by slimming down from 142 to 130 pounds in just a few days Oh, to I, make the... To yeah. make the cut. I yeah. feel like I did that in, in college once and... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely blacked out somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Frank was laid to rest in Holy Cross Cemetery in Brooklyn, buried in his riding silks. Um, as for Sweet Kiss, well, her first race was her last. Uh, she was retired because among those in the racing circuit, she was nicknamed Sweet Kiss of Death. Oh, wow. Yeah, quote, the horse, though established as a winner, would never be raced again as superstitious jockeys feared suffering as Hayes had. End quote. Uh, that was from Diabolic Magazine. Uh, so it seems, heart condition or not, no one wanted to take a chance and pucker up. Which kind of shocks me. I feel like there's a ton of guys out there who'd oh, be yeah. like, I will try to ride the horse <laughs> of death. That's right. You know? The horse of death. The yeah. horse, the sweet cass of death. Like, in that exact voice, that mm-hmm. was how they wanted to do it. Yeah. I, yeah, that would definitely happen now. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, after the break, we're going to stay in 1923, but we're heading over to Egypt, where perhaps a similar case of bad luck or bad choices led to an untimely death. And we're back. We're so back. We're so damn back. And uh, we're leaving Frank and we're going to George. Bye, Frank. <laughs> yeah. Bye, Frank. Bye, Frank. <laughs> uh, now, we're going to talk about a man named... George Herberts. And if you don't recognize the name, 
Maybe it's because he also goes by George Edward Stanhope Molyneux Herbert, 5th Earl of Carnarvon. Oh my (laughs) god. I have to take a crack at that. Go for it. Can I try it? Okay. George Edward Mm -hmm. Stanhope Molyneux Herbert, 5th Earl of Carnarvon. That's it. It's impossible not to say it that way. You can't not give a silly accent to so. at least one or more parts of that <laughs> name. Oh my god! Pick, pick a name. That's a pick p- an accent. That's a person. <laughs> okay, sorry. Tell me about him. Ah, uh, he was also the financial backer, and I guess you could say the executive producer of the search for and the eventual excavation of Tutankhamun's tomb. In the Valley of the Kings. Oh, my. Uh, for the most part, George led a pretty uneventful rich man's life. Oh. He, he did all the things a white, British, very wealthy man was expected of him in the late 1800s. Uh, he went to Cambridge. He got married. He had two kids. One boy. One girl. Uh, and probably for maybe a little excitement and for the prestige, get this, he was also into horse racing. Interesting. That's right. And a little fact other than a weird-ass death connects our two subjects today. Uh, now, for his wedding gift, okay, for his wedding gift in 1895, it was 500,000 British pounds. That's a lot of money. That is, even today, that, was, that would be an incredible amount of money. I want that much. Yes. I want that many pounds. <laughs> <Can you> <laughs> Please support this. We need more mics. Yeah. We need, just bring them in. Bring them um, in. Now, could you guess what, now, 500000 in 1895, how much that would be, like, in today's money? Well, I did accidentally read ahead. <laughs> God damn it. On your thing. I can fake guess. Okay. Is it, like. What did you think originally? Did you, before you. A lot. A lot. Just, like, a lot. A lot of Millions. Stuff. Millions. You're right. Yeah. In today's money, in would be 65 million pounds. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, 65 million fucking pounds, and that's more than enough to buy and breed racehorses, which he did and eventually passed on this generational wealth and equestrian knowledge. Uh, his grandson, the seventh earl, was racing manager to Queen Elizabeth II Whoa. from 1969. And one of the queen's closest friends. So we're talking about this kind of wealth and connections here. So. Damn. Yeah. Anyway, back to George's boring life, uh. which took a literal bad turn in 1903. And this may have actually changed the course of his fate. A serious car accident in Germany left him on the frailer side, so, so much so that his doctors advised he should take his winter break away from England. It's damp. It's humid. It's hard to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. So he and his wife decided Egypt would be the perfect spot, thanks to it being occupied by the British at this time. Um, And George instantly fell in love with the country and its beautiful history. And like most British dudes in the early 1900s, he wanted all of it. Of course. Of course. He's like, so (laughs) I have gazillions of pounds. Um, How much does this cost? How much does that body over there cost? How much much does this country cost? (laughs) And out of curiosity, just for funsies, like, how much does the continent cost? Is that up for grabsies? Dude, they, they had to think about that. You know they did, and you know they did not. It was a joke. No, no. It was a serious contemplative thing with a tie and a hat situation. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. You know there was a great hat. 
Where are we? Okay, so thus began his life as an amateur Egyptologist and his, air quotes, collection of all things mummy. Mm. Uh, from 1903 to 1912, Lord Carnarvon uh, was on an expedition rampage, financing a number of excavations slash tomb raidings led by archaeologist Howard Carter. Uh, their, more air quotes, discovery of the ancient city of Thebes under oh. the, yeah, that one. Ancient city of Thebes under the modern city of Luxor gained them like huge Egyptolo- like Egyptologist fame. Wow. And uh, they landed a book deal. Uh, George co-authored five years exploration at Thebes with his archaeologist friend and employee Howard Carter. Fun. Now, World War I got in the way for a bit and George had to pause his plundering slash discoveries, but resumed in 1917. Uh, taking over excavation, an excavation permit granted to a dude named Theodore Davis. Now, Davis actually believed the area known as Valley of the Kings had been completely exhausted, and all that was to be found was found. Okay. But George and Howard, though, they went on for five years. Okay. <laughs> hoping and digging, digging and hoping, until November 1922. <gasps> Drum roll. That's right. <laughs> Carter sent a telegram to George, who, fed up, had returned to England. Uh, can you read for us ye old telegram? I would absolutely love to. All right, quote, At last, we have made wonderful discovery in Valley, a magnificent tomb with seals intact, recovered, same for your arrival. Congratulations. That's right. Completely undisturbed, rusting for thousands of years, there it was. The massive tomb of Tutankhamun. Fuck yeah. That's right. And it was just two meters away from where Davis had stopped digging and gave up. Oh, man. <laughs> so this telegram. Uh, yeah. What's up? This Was this telegram? Okay, wait. Who is this telegram to? So uh, this was Howard Carter. Yeah. To George, our George, our Lord Carnarvon. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we had sent it to Davis. Oh, no. Uh, and that would be rude. That would be rude. That would be a big fuck you to Davis. Yeah. <laughs> like, come here, look what we found yeah. in the place that you <laughs> gave up on. <laughs> Literally the next day, George arrived in Egypt, this time with his daughter, which is nice. Aww. Uh, but what was not so nice was what they decided to do next. Uh, the tomb was to be officially opened on November 27th in the presence of an Egyptian official from the Egyptian Department of Antiquities. But George, his daughter Evelyn, and Carter, they just couldn't wait. And on the night of November 26th, they made an unauthorized visit to the tomb and became the first people in thousands of years to enter the chambers. I mean, uh, this is not a good idea, but it's a very sweet father-daughter moment. Moment. Yeah, but, you know. But also a bad idea. Bad idea. Now, King... King Tut's tomb was massive, like we said. Uh, there's at least 5,000 objects within various rooms to, that makes up his resting place. The inner burial chamber where he was laying uh, was still sealed until February of 1920, uh, the following February, okay. <clears throat> whereupon that seal was broken. And it should probably be noted that this all took place in front of the British national newspaper, The Times, and no Egyptian newspapers were permitted. What? Yeah. And this caused a rift with the Egyptian authorities and maybe King Tut himself, question mark? What? Yeah. Uh, One month later, 
in March, George got a mosquito bite and a big one on his face. No, 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 no. (laughs) And it must have been difficult to get around because one morning while shaving, he accidentally cut into it. No. Yeah. Two weeks later, George was dead. What? (laughs) On April 5th, George's body was found in a Continental Savoy hotel room in Cairo. And according to the autopsy, the cut led to a blood infection that quickly spiraled out of control. It had traveled to his weak lungs, causing pneumonia, and shut down his organs one by one. Well, that's creepy as fuck. Yeah, yeah. The newspapers gobbled this shit up, uh, blaming it on the curse of Tutankhamun or the mummy's curse. And George was the only one out of 25 or so Europeans involved in the excavation who, like, died suddenly. Now, those stats don't really support a curse for all who enter, but to be the only dude, you know? It's That's like, enough to be a curse for me. <laughs> right. Maybe the curse was really only meant for the richest man who for years disturbed the resting places of countless dead. Or, yeah. or maybe it was just bad luck. But either way, fucking sucks to be George. Sucks to be George. The end. The end. <laughs> That's it. And that's the story of Frank and George and... And Mate. some fucking curses, man. There you go. Some fucking curses. Uh, so, hope y'all enjoyed it. And uh, keep supporting us. We love it. We love you. We Seriously. We read every review. Uh, and it just makes us giddy on the inside. Yeah, seriously. And we hope you love the artwork. And we yes. have lots of new things in store. And I, we're so excited. So excited. So, stay interesting. Please do.